This week on Crossing the Lane Lines. Uh, in terms of the, the law, what, what prompted me to address this is looking at our world, particularly since Superstorm Sandy happened nine or so years ago. I've just been noticing that we are getting more and more watery. Uh, in, in my neck of the woods, which is New York City, um, our waters are rising anywhere from an inch to an inch and a half a year. Our storms, whether they be hurricanes or tropical storms, are you know, increasing in numbers. Um, the last two years, we had to go to, to a, a different alphabet to continue to name those storms. And of course, they're getting stronger deep cycle they come through. So that's challenging in and of itself, and that's impacting not just New York, but all over the country. In the U.S., the government has wide control over public schools. They require equal educational opportunities for pupils of different races and ethnicities. The length of the school year and of course, vaccinations. But what about mandating swimming? Why isn't this vital life skill a requirement in public schools nationwide? We'll speak to Sean Slevin, activist, swim coach, and the founder of Swim Strong, about how her organization has put forth two bills in the New York House and Senate to have learning to swim as a required part of the public school's curricula. All this is coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Lee, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. There are numerous lobbies that go to their state and national elected officials to press them into doing what their constituents want. Fossil fuels, gun manufacturers, the auto industry, and those that represent the military have all had a significant impact on our nation and the world with respect to current legislation. But wouldn't it be something if we had a swim lobby, one that could advocate for water safety for all? If I may, I'd like to quote something that today's guest wrote. And to be quite honest with you, I can imagine them saying this to one of their elected officials. Quote, Did you know that on a global basis, a person dies every 70 seconds due to drowning? And that for every death, five more people are suffering life-altering brain and spinal cord injuries due to water-based accidents? Yes, drownings and water-based accidents are a global epidemic. And while those statistics are disturbing, the most shocking of all is that 95% of these incidents never needed to have happened. They were preventable. New York City is an aquatics desert as it relates to appropriate multi-use swimming pools, which can be used to teach a wide range of swimming skills from learn to swim through lifeguard and specialty skill training. It therefore makes sense to look to the Hudson River and New York Harbor for that availability. However, 
we are under a triple threat. For the past dozen years, our water levels have been rising an inch plus per year. Our tropical storms and hurricanes are not only becoming more intense, but the frequency and sheer numbers increase every year. Our waterfronts are being developed as never before in our lifetimes, opening the access to open water dramatically to millions of people who cannot swim and do not understand the danger and nature of the water they are around. As a result, our drownings and water-based accidents rates will skyrocket. Close quote. The above passage is from the nonprofit Swim Strong, whose mission is to save and change lives through water safety education and teaching swimming skills. They provide affordable swim programs to stop drowning and at present are active in putting forth a bill in both the New York House and Senate to mandate swimming in public schools. And we are honored to have the founder of Swim Strong with us today, Sean Slevin. Sean is a passionate advocate for water safety and has been featured in two documentary films, many articles, TV and radio appearances, and has been recognized for her community work by several local civic and governmental agencies and nationally by USA Swimming Foundation. Sean Slevin, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Naji, thank you so much for inviting me to chat with you this evening. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Sean, before we get to the topic at hand, tell us please about your own swim history. Certainly. So, um, ironically, uh, or perhaps not, but I, I was a near drowning victim actually myself at the age of five. Um, the situation was my mom and I were at a lakefront and uh, I had asked her permission to just walk along the water's edge. She was reading a magazine on the beach and she said, okay, but no more than walking along the water's edge. And of course, being the little imp that I was, I went in a little further than the water's edge and I fell into a hole and I couldn't find the bottom and I couldn't find the top. So of course, you know, I opened my mouth to <laughs> scream from my mother and what do I get? but a lung full of water. Fortunately, of course, she had seen me, but it seemed a lifetime uh, before she reached me and pulled me out. And that was just such a traumatic experience that I wouldn't go near the water for the next four years. My dad finally convinced me to, to get in, and within six months, I was actually competing. So, uh, you know, fast forward, I am a certified scuba diver. I love to sail. I'm really a water rat. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine my life today had I not gone back into the water. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners about how you founded Swim Strong. So the genesis of Swim Strong really comes from my uh, roots as a community-based um, swim coach for a very competitive CYO Catholic Youth Organization swim team in this little corner of the world known as Goodside, Queens. And um, my mentor was just fabulous. And when she retired, I uh, took the program over from her. And so it was 40 years 
of working with young men and women, helping them become competitive swimmers or better competitive swimmers. And the reality of all of that was that it really wasn't just about getting faster or stronger, but more so the life lessons that we taught throughout, which transcended the pool. Things like self-discipline, uh, goal setting, persistence, teamwork, and perhaps one of the most critical skills, resiliency. And it was over a course of time where a number of young men and women came back and found me and were kind enough to share how those life lessons are playing out for them personally through their academic, their careers, and some of them were now raising children of their own. And that's frankly what inspired me to say, well, if you know, so much good can come out of this little corner of the world known as Woodside, Queens, could we take this on a much bigger basis and bring these uh, opportunities to more young people? I must say that your idea to try and get a state law requiring swimming be mandatory in public schools is a good one. First of all, take us back to how you all formulated this idea. And secondly, was there ever a time when New York schools did or tried to require that swimming be mandatory in order to matriculate? Okay, so I'm going to flip the order, if that's okay with you, Najee, um, to address the second part of your question. At one time, you did have to pass a swimming test to matriculate. Uh, some, I don't think it was necessarily mandated statewide, for example, or citywide, but certain schools definitely made learning to swim a part of their PE curriculum, and you'd have to pass a swim test. Across the country, many of the Ivies also had that mandate, that you had to pass um, their swimming course in order to graduate from college. Sadly, today, those um, schools are fewer and fewer and fewer. And I think that's a real shame because we need water safety and swimming skills taught to our children at a very young age and then continuing to build the skills moving on through their lives. So that's, that's the second part of your question. Uh, in terms of the the law, what, what prompted me to address this is looking at our world, particularly since Superstorm Sandy happened nine or so years ago. I've just been noticing that we are getting more and more watery. Uh, in, in my neck of the woods, which is New York City, um, our waters are rising anywhere from an inch to an inch and a half a year. Our storms, whether they be hurricanes or tropical storms, are you know, increasing in numbers. Um, the last two years, we had to go to, to a, a different alphabet to continue to name those storms. And of course, they're getting stronger each cycle they come through. So 
that's challenging in and of itself, and that's impacting not just New York, but all over the country. There's even um, a phenomenon that, that we're seeing locally, which is called sunny day flooding. And that has absolutely nothing to do with rain or, or storms, but everything to do with those super moons uh, that we have from time to time. And those super moons create super tidal surge um, to the point where it is advancing well beyond where the high tide mark would normally be. And in many cases, there's no place for that water to go. So it pops up on the roadways. And so now we have flooding happening where we never saw wet roads before. And frankly, you know, we're, we're not accustomed to this and we really don't know how to deal with this. Do we go through it? Do we not go through it? What should we be looking for? How do we understand this water? So that's an issue. And then for us, our trifecta is the fact that our waterfronts are being developed as never before in, in our lifetimes. And while that's fabulous for people who understand the conditions and the nature of that particular body of water, and certainly have the swimming skills to navigate it safely, that's not true of most of our population. And so, hence the concern that those drowning rates are gonna start spiking. So that's really the genesis for the law, which is in the Senate, New York Senate Bill 2207, and in the Assembly Bill 728, and it focuses on mandating water safety training in all schools and also looking at safe behaviors on and around water, um, the proper use of flotation devices when that's appropriate, understanding about CPR and how to apply that, and other um, water safety-related issues. I think when a lot of us talk about water safety, we limit it to what needs to happen when one is at a pool, a lake, the ocean, river, or pond. But you all go beyond that, especially with respect to natural disasters like floods and hurricanes, correct? Correct. Yeah, so again, this goes back to really um, Superstorm Sandy and just seeing <clears throat> what was happening around us in, in our world. And as I thought about how many more people did not have swimming skills versus those that did, and thinking how do we help everybody to be able to survive and thrive as we move through these next decades, which are only going to continue to be more watery. And that's when it really struck me that we needed to look at swimming skills in the context of the environment and take that step back and focus more on the environment. Swimming skills are very, very important, but we need to understand the environment even before, <laughs> ideally before we'd have the swimming skills, right? Because you'd be thinking about 
well, do I really want to go in that particular water or, or not? Um, that would be ideal, but that's not going to happen because rightfully so, parents are giving their, their children swimming lessons at a very young age and, and very little ones you know, can't comprehend that. But ideally, you would have that knowledge first. So what I'm really referring to here is, again, going back and thinking about water wherever we find it inside our home. And you probably are aware of this, that for children under the age of five, drowning is a leading cause of death. And most of those children are dying in their own homes. And when you think about that, people will tend to say, oh, um, you mean the family swimming pool? And yes, that's certainly an area that's definitely a problem. Uh, inside the home, the, bath the bathtub is another issue. You know, it's sad to say, but we as parents are easily distracted. You know, the, the phone rings, the, the, the doorbell rings, we've got something on the stove, we have another uh, child who, you know, gets into to trouble and we just turn our head for a minute or, or step away just to, you know, quickly turn the stove off and come back. But in that brief, brief time, that child can slip under the surface of the water. And it only takes two inches and two minutes for a child to drown, any of us, actually, any of us to drown. And drowning is silent. So we're not even going to hear that the child is in distress. We'll come back and find this tragedy. And other um, suspected places, or I should say culprits, are actually toilet bowls. Um, who knew it could be so much fun to toss your toy into the toilet and then go and retrieve it? And of course, for toddlers, the heaviest part of their body is actually their heads. So if they get upended in a toilet, in a bucket that we've left some water in, you know, from our last cleaning, um, and nobody's around to see them, they can't write themselves. So, you know, there's so many things that we need to think about. Even a large dog's water bowl can be a death trap for a toddler. So if we could help parents to, to look at their houses and their homes in the same way they do for electrical outlets, you know, when, and they want to make sure that little ones don't, don't put their fingers, you know, in, in live outlets. If they can put those similar glasses on them uh, to help them look at their homes as it relates to water and where is water uh, being, you know, congregating. Keep the bathroom doors closed. There are locks that you can buy for the toilet bowls, you know, just as you would lock perhaps your knife drawer or um, your drawer that you have, you know, heavy pots and pans and anything that would, that would hurt a young child. You know, we lock them up. We can maintain spaces where there is water too so that we're not endangering our children. Uh, but when you go outside, where else do you meet water? Well, you meet it at the local swimming pool. You meet it at the, the, the pond that's in your backyard. You meet it at 
um, a river, a stream, a lake, the ocean. I mean, there's all sorts of areas. And each one of those types of water have different natures and different conditions and different behaviors. And so if we understand that, then we can think about, should I be going into that water? Do I have the appropriate skills to navigate safely those different conditions in those bodies of water? And then you can take that from a seasonal point of view. You think about, well, okay, here's the fall that we're in now. This is the time for the hurricanes and the tropical storms. And we just had Ida here that affected us so much on the East Coast. Um, Ida, the tropical storm happened about three weeks ago, and it was a surprise at the strength that it slammed into us. Between New York and New Jersey, we lost almost 50 people who drowned during that storm. In my own community in Woodside, Queens, 13 of those people drowned in their own basement. Now, that absolutely shouldn't have happened. So this is where I'm saying if you understand more about the environment, you are much better equipped to deal with what's happening to our world around us. In the wintertime, we tend to lose, gosh, anywhere from, you know, seven to more people that are falling through ponds uh, that, you know, are not saved. Uh, in the spring, in other parts of the country, there was a lot of concern around, you know, spring flooding coming from snow melt and runoff. We didn't have that so much in our New York City area, but as I mentioned earlier, we now have this funky phenomenon called sunny day flooding, which has nothing to do with storms. So it's water, water everywhere. Sean, what sort of education has SwimStrong put out to get the attention of parents, school administrations, and the like, and how has it been received? So we're celebrating our 15th anniversary this year, and I guess about year four, year five, we started to create these what we call PSAs, public service announcements. They're really um, one-page infographic sheets. Uh, that talk about different issues relating to the water. I think when you and I spoke originally over um, Zoom, you may have seen in the background one of mine that speaks to the drowning statistics. Right? Uh, there's another one that speaks to a parent's guide to water safety that addresses a lot about the home that you know I spoke about earlier. Uh, then we have others that talk about hypothermia. I mean, just a pile of them. So we started with those and we were handing them out at every opportunity, various uh, tabling at, at certain events, public events and community events. And then about 2017, 2018, um, I really felt it was important to put something together that I could bring into schools because we needed to address this issue 
uh, in, a, in a more focused manner. And so that was the, the genesis of Know Before You Go, K-N-O-W, Know Before You Go, which um, my uh, the half a dozen colleagues and I had worked on. Initially, it was a PowerPoint presentation that I would put on at the school and I would, would lead it. And it, it definitely touched on all of the points that, you know, we wanted to, not the seasonality of issues, but certainly, you know, the differences between the ocean and a river and a lake, et cetera, and talking about rip currents, which are so um, meaningful for us because we have wicked rip currents uh, where we are. And then over time, I started to think about this issue of how do we get it out there even further? And this funky little thing called a pandemic hit, COVID-19. And I thought, boy, you know, if, if you have to look for a silver lining in a cloud, this is it. So I took the opportunity to uh, work with a curriculum writer, and we totally revamped the program so that now not only can it be delivered remotely, as well as, of course, old school in person or blended through Zoom or something similar. But the program itself is much richer. It's actually based on um, standards that educators need to teach to. Um, SHAPE, which is the um, – I'll have to take a little break here so I can, can get the appropriate language around that, Najee. But, uh, SHAPE is the physical education standards, national physical education standards, and also the CDC standards. And we added even STEM-based, age-appropriate STEM-based exercises to it. So it, it offers an educator a number of boxes that they can check off as to why they would want to be teaching the material to their students, which is great. But it really does address there's four modules, and it speaks to, you know, what do we need to know about the general situation as it relates to the terrible statistics of drowning, the fact that drowning is truly an epidemic of global proportions. We are dealing with a pandemic. This is an epidemic, and it's an epidemic that has been, has been around for 100 years, and it will probably continue for the next hundred years. The way we're going, it will certainly continue the way, you know, this way for the next hundred years. So uh, we need to put pedal to the metal and really make some changes here. One of the other things that struck me as I started to, you know, move this work out into a, a broader arena of uh, teachers and different parts of the city is that uh, a colleague of mine who's actually in, in London, he has done part of our social justice, we have a segment called the Social Justice Call to Action, and his name is Ed Akura. And Ed did this film called A Black, a film called Blacks Can't Swim, and he speaks to the um, stereotypical reasons why communities of color um, don't embrace swimming with the goal of trying to change that point of view. 
And his own personal story, he tells the fact that he didn't learn to swim himself until he was, you know, almost in his 40s because he had a young daughter and he wanted to make sure that she was safe. But when he would have conversations with his mom about, gee, why didn't you, you know, help me learn to swim when I was younger, her response had been, I wanted to keep you safe and the way I could keep you the most safe was to keep you away from water. And that echoed in so many conversations that I had had with grandparents of color and their their children. Um, so the parents and the grandparents of people that I've worked with directly, many echoed that same comment. We keep you safe by keeping you away from the water. But Najee, what's happening to us now is going to turn that concept on its ear because water is now seeking us out. We can't avoid it. Think of those 13 people that died in their basements. This is what has really kind of crystallized for me, the fact that all of us, whether we are swim skilled or not, need to understand water much differently, much more deeply, and even develop a different relationship with it. You and I know that even the most skilled of swimmers can drown. So it's not a matter of, oh, I have swimming skills. I don't need this other information. Oh, yes, you do. Because you may be caught in a situation. I would put anyone, regardless of their swimming capability, for the first time in a rip current, and bet you dollars to donuts they're going to react the same way as somebody with hardly any swimming skills would in that same situation. Panic. <laughs> okay. Panic. Because you don't know what it is, all of a sudden it hits you, and you start to fight. And that's the worst thing to do. I know that your work is targeting the public schools in New York, but what about other states? Is Swim Strong hoping or coordinating with other organizations in other states to try and get similar mandates in the other 49 as well? And further, has there been any thought to forming a swim lobby, you know, to meet with members of Congress about this vital life-saving skill? Well, frankly, we'd love to do all of that, but we're a volunteer-based organization. <laughs> so our bandwidth, you know, uh, is small. So we would welcome people across the country who had an interest in this same issue to uh, work with them. Maybe they'd like to base uh, a suggestion of the legislation that we're using, you know, for their own legislations uh, within their states. So I would be delighted to hear from people who have the same interest everywhere across the country. Because I think that's a great point about the swim lobby. I, I'm sure there is a lobby, but it's probably more for um, businesses that are around the swimming world, you know, like 
people that make swimming pools, for example, or, or other uh, such things, as opposed to really looking at legislation that helps to bring water safety and swimming skills to more people. And finally, if folks want to know about your work, and for those in New York who wish to lobby their elected officials, where can they go to find out more information? So I'm going to provide to you um, a series of links that you can put in your show notes, but certainly they can reach out to me through my email, which is shawn dot s for sam l e v is in victor i n is in nancy at swim strongfoundation.org, our website, swimstrongfoundation.org. And as I said, those other links will be helpful as well. And we are going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking to Sean Slevin, a passionate advocate for water safety, and has been featured in two documentary films, many articles, TV and radio appearances, and been recognized for her community work by several local civic and governmental organizations and nationally by USA Swimming Foundation. She is the founder of Swim Strong, whose mission is to save and change lives through water safety education and teaching swimming skills. They provide affordable swim programs to stop drowning and at present are active in putting forth a bill in both the New York House and Senate to mandate swimming in public schools. Sean Slevin, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you so much for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you, Naji. Stay well. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.